0: Mark chapter 9, if you're new with us, we're doing a short series on the church called Be the Church as we look at our responsibilities and privileges as members of the household of faith. We looked at belonging week one, then we looked at assembling last week, the right Reverend Dr. Strickland did a wonderful job talking about caring from Galatians 6 and today we're going to look at serving and so let's pray together and ask for the Lord's help as we look into his word. Father, what a privilege it is to open your word. Having heard so many voices and so many narratives this week and every week, it is good to open the Bible and get the true narrative of the whole world and to have our minds and hearts recalibrated to divine truth. Pray you would open up our our hearts and our minds today to behold wonderful things from your word. And That you would make us more like the Lord Jesus, in His good name we pray. And everybody said, "Amen." I'm sure many of you have read uh, Jim Collins's best-selling book, "Good to Great." It came out um, surprisingly to me as I looked at it this week in 2001. I'm 20 years old now, and I, I I don't read a lot of these business leadership books, but I, I did read that one and really liked it, and uh, allude to it from time to time. And Collins did a study of uh, businesses that went from good to great, and he was asking the question, uh, what, was, what did they do? And uh, there are many findings in his research, but he's got one particular section on leaders of these uh, organizations, and he calls these leaders that went from, took their organization from good to great, level five leaders. And he said that they were characterized by humility plus will. Collins was surprised to find that many of these uh, uh, level five leaders were self-effacing, quiet, reserved, even shy. He says these leaders are a paradoxical blend of personal humility and professional will. They are, quote, modest, willful, humble, and fearless. He said when interviewing these leaders, they often talked a lot about the contribution of others. And that they never wanted to be larger than life heroes. He says their ambition is first and foremost about their institution and not about themselves. And when asked about themselves, they would reply by saying things like, I hope I'm not talking like a big shot. And so he does this study on good to great leaders and he basically finds that the great ones are humble ones. Humble leadership. I was like, I think I've read that somewhere. I I think I've read that somewhere in the Bible. And we're looking at one of those texts today in Mark chapter 9 as Jesus is instructing the future leaders of the church. And he shows them that the path to true greatness is through humble service. He says, if you want to be high, get low. If you want to be great, be a servant. And as we think about serving today in the context of the church, We know that followers of Jesus are not spectators in the church, but servants in the church. And as a Christian, you shouldn't think that the church is just where I listen to sermons, but rather it's the place where I serve. Now, I believe listening to the sermon is important, so please stay awake. But there's more than listening to sermons. Uh, The Christian life is at its very nature, isn't it? about humble service. We think about John chapter 13, the classic text where Jesus washes the disciples' feet and he gives them the lesson after he performs this service and says, if then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. And what's this sentence? Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. (laughs) nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you not know them, but do them. We're not greater than our master. And he served. And it's a privilege to serve Jesus and his people, isn't it? I mean, we should be in hell today, and we're not. We have been forgiven, cleansed, redeemed, secured. And the only right response to this grace is graciously and gladly serving Jesus and his people. Now, the synoptic writers, Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, allude not to the John 13 washing of the feet, classic text on serving that's only in John's gospel, but they include these narratives where Jesus has now kind of turned the corner, he's heading toward Jerusalem and he's spending concentrated time with the leaders of this new messianic community called the church and they just don't get it. (laughs) In fact, in Mark chapter eight to 10, three times Jesus predicts his his death and his resurrection, which is quite remarkable in itself that you could predict a resurrection. And right after Jesus gives this prediction about being rejected and, and suffering and dying on a cross, he has to give a corrective to the disciples because they're still thinking about status and prestige And what it would mean for them if Jesus really is the Messiah. I want you to see these these three episodes briefly. In Mark chapter 8, this is the first one where Jesus predicts his his death and resurrection. This is after he has said to, to the disciples, who do people say that I am? And Peter gets it right and says that you are the Christ. And then he tells them what kind of Christ he is in Mark 8, 31, and begins to tell them about how he's going to be rejected, how he's going to be killed, and after three days rise again. And Mark says, and he said this plainly to them, but Peter took him aside and rebuked him. It's never a good idea to try to rebuke Jesus. (laughs) But turning to his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, If you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Peter has gotten it right that Jesus is the Messiah, but what he did not understand is that his followers would be characterized by sacrifice and serving and suffering, that glory would come later. And the idea that the Messiah would die on a cross was a very strange idea. After all, Messiahs win. The very heart of being a Messiah is that you are a winner. When Nick Saban went to University of Alabama, he was the Messiah of the football program. And if Saban walked into an interview and he, he told all the Alabama fans, "We're going to lose every game this season, guys," that would be crazy to them. They were like, "We're not Kent State." We're we're Alabama. We we win championships. And Jesus has said, I am the Messiah, and I'm going to die. And Peter says, that can't be Messiah's triumph. And of course, he did triumph, but in a very unusual way. He was not the Messiah that they were anticipating, but he was the Messiah that they needed. And the way to follow this Messiah is by taking up our cross, killing our convenience, our selfishness, our self-absorption, and following him. Now that's the first episode. Chapter 10 is the, the third time. He, we're looking at the second prediction uh, in chapter 9. In chapter 10 we have the third prediction of his death and resurrection. It's a little bit longer in Mark uh, 10, 32 to 34. Uh, uh, four. And what is the conversation after Jesus for the third time has said he's going to suffer and die. And rise from the dead. They get in a, an argument and a discussion about whether or not they can sit on thrones with Jesus. We want you to do whatever you ask us, whatever we ask you, they say to Jesus. And then he, of course, gives them this corrective in Mark 10, 38. You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they say, we are able. (laughs) And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. And then really the, kind of the key verse in the whole Gospel of Mark. For even the Son of Man, this is Jesus, came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus turns the whole thing on its head. He revolutionizes their understanding of greatness And of leadership. They want seats of glory. And he says the glory is is in the service. And he says that even the son of man. This is an allusion to Daniel's great son of man. The king of kings. Came not to be served. But to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Now in Mark chapter 9. Verses 33 and following the text that was just read. Here Jesus has predicted his death and resurrection. And the immediate reaction is to get in a discussion about who's the greatest. (laughs) As one writer says, Jesus counts the cost of discipleship, they count its assets. The disciples have yet to learn that the rewards of discipleship come only as a consequence of following Christ on the costly way to Jerusalem. The bottom line, the way of faithful discipleship involves humble service. It is not to be driven by a desire for personal recognition and glory. We should never view some task as being beneath us. Even the Son of Man came to serve always been struck by the little verse in Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 5 where Nehemiah we are told that everybody's on the wall and they're doing their their various jobs repairing the walls but it says in chapter 3 verse 5 next to them the Tekoites repaired but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Not willing to stoop to serve the Lord. Uh, We need a corrective on this. Luke says uh, regarding Jesus for I among you am the one who serves. If the Alpha and Omega served, then no task is beneath us. Now let's look at this text briefly uh, this morning under three headings. First of all, Jesus exalts humble service. Secondly, Jesus demonstrates humble service. And thirdly, Jesus motivates humble service. He exalts it in verses 33 to 35. It says, I came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them a question. Uh, In Mark's gospel, a lot of private instruction takes place in a home. This is likely Peter's house. And there has been a discussion after they've been uh, along the road. Uh, Jesus has done a number of things. uh, And he's just predicted again his death and resurrection. And he asked them what they're talking about. And I love the response, verse 34, but they kept silent. (laughs) They're like your kids when they're in trouble what do you just look at they just stare at you they don't want to give a response there's kind of this this shame that they they know they probably should not been engaged in this conversation they kept silent for on the way mark says they had argued with one another about who was the greatest not much has changed in humanity right you can imagine this discussion who you guys think the best disciple here is and peter's like well you know i did walk on the water guys like, yeah, for one step. That's, that's hardly impressive. Uh, or James and John, well, you know, we, we are the sons of thunder. Or John, you know, I'm the beloved. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. I wear clean shoes, and I'm all tidy, and I'm the golden boy. Or maybe Simon the Zealot, you can imagine him. You can know, guys, I've been doing CrossFit, and I can crush all of you guys. Uh, the Zealot, he's, he's out there doing jujitsu uh, in the morning. Or Matthew, the tax collector. I had a 4.0, guys. I'm the smartest. I know Microsoft Excel, like like a wizard. You can just imagine them discussing these things about who is the greatest. Now, to put this in a honor and shame culture as it was, and to put it in the Jewish context, it was very common to talk about rank and standing. And so we, we, we need to, uh, we're a little bit more sympathetic toward the disciples when you put it in this, this context. You can read, for example, certain Jewish writings about the seating order in paradise. How the just, those who are just, will sit nearer to the throne of God than even the angels. And there, uh, you can read about seating placements in worship and at meals and how one should conduct himself or herself with superiors or inferiors. And so the disciples grew up in that whole world of of rank and of placement and of self-importance. And they're trying to relate this to their relationship with Jesus, but he keeps crushing this idea. Further, their messianic hopes are sky high right now. And they are anticipating this political liberator. And if he is this great political liberator, it will mean great, uh, great things for them. And so all of their discussions tend to be about, Je- what's Jesus going to do in Jerusalem? How's he, how he going to overthrow Rome? How's he going to do this? And, and who gets to sit next to him? Who's going to have all the position and the title and the accolade? And Jesus, again, turns it on its head. Now, notice in verse uh, 35, Jesus doesn't um, tell them not to pursue greatness. Oh, there's a great book called Humble Ambition, and I think that's the kind of idea that Jesus is is getting out here. He he doesn't tell them, I don't worry about any of this stuff and just be lackadaisical and, and slothful. But they're arguing about who's the greatest, and he says, if anyone will be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And the same thing happened in chapter 10, as I read that earlier. If you want to be great, be a servant. So he doesn't tell them to not pursue greatness. He simply redefines what greatness is. What is it? It's being great in the things that matter to God. It's being great in the things that please God. As one writer says, There's nothing greater in God's eyes than giving, and no vocation affords opportunity to give more than that of a servant. Be great in that. Everyone has the opportunity to be great in the kingdom of God because everyone can serve. Have you seen any examples of true greatness lately? It looks like the teenager who honors his parents and cares for his younger brothers and sisters, even those that require special attention. It looks like the single woman in the church who radiates a contagious Christian joy and cheerfully serves numerous families in the church. It looks like the successful businessman who serves on the parking lot team It looks like the successful professors that volunteer on the hospitality team and security team. It looks like the single man who lives a simple life so that he can give to the adoption fund, helping those who want to adopt children. It looks like those who quietly and consistently give to the offerings of the church. It looks like those who invite college students into their homes and serve them. It looks like welcoming new people into the church. There is no shortage of opportunities to serve God. The problem lies in our hearts, not with opportunity. We need to deal with the self-absorption in our hearts. Self-absorbed people only think of themselves. And you don't have to teach people to do this. We, by nature, do that. I remember when one of my daughters, several years ago now, was doing her spelling homework and she was to make a sentence with, with each vocabulary word, and the word was everything. And so she wrote the following sentence, everything is all about me. <laughs> man, that's some honesty right there, man. Like, now, we didn't teach her that, you understand that. We're trying to teach the opposite of that, but you don't have to teach that because that's just hardwired into our fallen nature. Self-absorption is also a miserable existence. No, we we are called to Christ-centered, others-focused service. We need a strong dose of Philippians 2, 3 to 4 every day of our lives. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look on his own interest, but on the interest of others. And the only way we really do this is by applying the gospel to our hearts. Because it's only the gospel that can free us from our addiction to ourselves. We have to apply Mark 10, 45. Even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Another big obstacle of this, of course, is cynicism. That is, it's easy in a church especially to sit on the sidelines and just be critical of everything, to sort of be a Siskel and Ebert Christian. All you have to do is look at the failures of others, and there are many failures, and you can be a critic. But that, too, is a miserable existence. And it's also a failure to see a lot of the good things that many faithful people are doing in the church all the time. And if you are a leader or planning to be a leader, let me just remind you that people do not want to follow negative cynics. They want to follow humble servants who work hard. And Jesus keeps pressing this point to these disciples. And it needs to keep being pressed to us. In verse 35, we read that Jesus sat down with the twelve... And he began to give them this lesson. To sit down was the normal posture of the day for the authoritative teacher. And he says, if anyone will be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. That word servant, diakonos, where we get the word deacon from, is a word used, for example, of of waiting tables. And the idea here is that there's personal devotion involved in service. This is not the kind of service that a slave would do or a servant for hire, but one that is born out of love and devotion. And in the Greek world, this kind of service was viewed as being undignified. But in Christianity, this service flows out of love. It flows out of a love for God and neighbor. And in the church, it flows out of a love for our brothers and sisters. This is just basic discipleship 101. It's not about being flashy or famous. It's about being faithful servants. Jesus will not say on the last day, well well done, good and famous servant. But well done, good and faithful servant. And for many people, Christianity is an exercise in philosophical study. But our faith is intensely practical. It's about how we serve people. Many love to argue theology, but spend no time serving anyone. Don't just have a theology of Christ's humility. Show humility. Demonstrate your theology. We have too much unmetabolized theology. It needs to be worked out, sweated out in the rhythm of life and with all of our weaknesses at IDC I'm grateful we have many people who do just this who are faithful servants let's do it all the more by God's grace and for his glory Jesus exalts humble service this is what discipleship is secondly Jesus demonstrates humble service this is what it looks like and now what Jesus does is he enacts the truth that he's been teaching and it says he took a child and put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms This is a wonderful picture of Jesus, taking this child in his arms. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Humble service he's he's teaching here means that we do not overlook the lowly, but we receive them. We care for them. As Jesus is taking up this child in his arms, receiving this child, it's his way of saying, care for the least of these. Don't overlook those that society overlooks. No one is beneath you. Stop worrying about status and position and being known and start taking on unnoticed tasks for seemingly insignificant people in the eyes of the world and do it in my name. Don't worry about being the greatest, be concerned about the least. Now, the child Jesus uses as an example in various ways in the Gospels. In one occasion, he uses a child as an example of faith, that we are to have a childlike faith. That's not the point here. The point here is is Jesus is taking up uh, the the child, which was viewed as being insignificant in the Greco-Roman world. And he's saying, not here be like children, but actually to embrace children. It's a picture of humble service. And this is very countercultural. In the Roman world, children were not valued. I mean, you definitely didn't see them dictating their parents' calendar the way they do us today. There's no Disney World, Pixar, Chuck E. Cheese, and all of the mega-million-dollar uh, businesses and entertainment uh, groups that, are, that cater to children. And now regarding Jewish children, they, they viewed them much better, but they still viewed them as having little status and having not arrived yet. They were illustrations of the very last and Jesus here says, serve the little ones. And this is consistent with what Jesus says in places like Matthew 25 when he mentions uh, caring for the thirsty and the lonely and the naked and the sick and the imprisoned. The way to be significant is by caring for the insignificant. And today that list is, is very long. What it looks like to live out this principle. For the poor, the orphan, the widow, the, the diseased, the dying, the hungry, the imprisoned, the abused, the enslaved, the refugee, the preborn. Those of you students who are going back into the school system, this, this looks like befriending the person that others shun in your school and in your class. Now, to drill down a little deeper here, this text is highlighting, in particular, children. And we have a lot of them in at Day. We, we, we love our kids. I always say all the time, the kids are my favorite people in this church. I don't mind the adults, but I, I really love the kids, right? Uh, and I know you do, too. And I love, I love seeing them. And we have so many opportunities to live out this, this passage. And it's a countercultural idea to love and value all children. And the early church was really distinct in this. In fact, you don't have to read long in the New Testament before you see great abuse being done to children, as Herod is killing babies in Jesus' day, reflecting the very same ideology of Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. And by Jesus' time, it's reported that the Romans would place unwanted children on trash heaps beside their home. Sometimes these kids were taken and they were raised as prostitutes or gladiators or slaves. And the Christians were known for taking them in, for welcoming them and loving them. Do you want to be great and significant? Then do something for the little ones. Our contemporary view is not much different than that Roman view in the larger society, as children are viewed as being disposable, as being an inconvenience. That is not the Christian position. And there are many ways in which we can serve children. And I don't have enough time to give you the full list, but let me just mention some briefly. We have, if you don't know, an adoption fund at Imago Day. Some of you just keep giving to this fund and we never even mention it. And there's a money sitting in there right now, a lot of it. And we don't want it sitting there. It's for kids. And so there, there are many challenges to adoption. The cost is actually the least. I mean, I'll just tell you. Uh, the, there are many challenges to bringing home children. But let us help you with that challenge. If you have interest in that, we'd love to talk to you. We need, as we've been saying, child care workers and volunteers. Those of you here serving in these ways, thank you. We need help in kids' discipleship. You can just roam through the uh, community room right after this service, and you will see a whole host of ways to advocate and love children, Human Coalition, Refugee Hope Partners, 127 Worldwide. Just go visit the ministry fair and see them. This is what I believe. A healthy church is characterized by members who love and serve children. And it's a problem when one has to beg people to serve kids i don't think jesus would think highly of that do you so jesus here enacts humble service or he demonstrates humble service and finally jesus motivates humble service and there's a beauty of this where jesus says when you take up this child when you care for the insignificant and the lowly you do it in my name you receive me and not just me but the one who sent me In other words, humble service in the name of Jesus is the pathway to blessing. Humble service is the pathway to greatness, and it's also the pathway of blessing. It's finding the life that is truly life. Just doing a simple act in Jesus' name, that is, in obedience to Jesus, in honor of Jesus, as unto Jesus. You receive me, he says. That is, you receive sweet fellowship with me. And you receive the Father who sent me. You get wrapped up into the warmth of this relationship. So our motivation, we serve out of a love for Christ, knowing that blessing comes from serving in his name. And what we have to do is stop playing the little games that we often play to try to excuse ourselves. And I know these games well because I've played them. The time game, for example. As people will say, I'll serve Christ one day. It's kind of like Detroit Lions fans. We're going to be good one day. (laughs) How about this year? That'd be great. (laughs) Or I used to serve Christ back in the day. Now, clearly there are times when people are hurt, wounded, etc. They need space to heal and be restored. But I'm not talking about those cases. I'm talking about a person who claims to be a Christian, who is in a good state of mind and body, but excuses himself or herself from serving Christ and his church with these little excuses. I love Paul's words in Romans. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. I think every Christian that lives in a privileged part of the world like we do must always ask the question, do I love comfort too much? Has comfort caused me to shrink back from passionate service to Jesus Christ and others? Or the comparison game. The comparison game is, well, I've done more than Bill. And you can always find someone to compare yourself with. But here's the reality. We are going to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account not for someone else, but for our own lives. And it really won't matter what Bill did when you stand before King Jesus. No, we, we serve unto Jesus, not in comparison to others. And you see, what, what, we're back to the heart again. When it comes to service, I don't have to tell Christians they ought to serve. That should be, they should know that, right? That's basic to Christianity. But it's the motivation that we need. And what we need is an overflow of love. A heart that's captivated by the grace of Christ. You see, people who have that, who are captivated by a love for Christ, they want to serve Christ and his people. They're asking, how can I serve? It's like the husband who loves and serves his wife. He does it because he wants to. Because there's love, there is affection. And we need to to have this motivation because often what we can have is a certain set of expectations that go unmet when we serve. For example, we may expect people to actually thank us, (laughs) right? We, We just need to kill that. Or that we're going to get noticed, Or we're going to have position. And and when we do this, we're we're right back in Mark chapter 9 with these disciples arguing about who's the greatest. So why serve? Because of Jesus Christ. That's why we serve. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So, let me just give you four categories to think through as I finish here. Discipleship, membership, stewardship, and worship. All right, let's get on the ship. Discipleship is simply asking this question, am I willing to serve? Do I need to put some sin to death in my heart today and repent? It's basic to discipleship. Membership. The question is, how am I serving my local church? Maybe you need to complete the membership process. We encourage you to do that. If you're a member we're, we're, we're gathering even on Sundays to ask, like we've studied before, how can I stir up my brothers and sisters to love and good deeds? How can I bear the burdens of others? All of the topics we've been looking at over the past few weeks. Stewardship is asking the question how am I using my time, talent, and treasure for my church and for our neighbors? God has given me gifts, He's given me abilities not to build my platform. Not to, for my ego. No, he's, he's given us gifts to build up the body of Christ, to serve others. And the big question, again, is worship. Do I see my service as an act of worship done unto Jesus Christ? Whatever we do in word or deed, we do it unto his name. Let us serve the crucified and risen Christ with gladness. Jesus has given us not only the example to follow, but he's given us the power to do it. He's ransomed us. He's freed us. He's transformed us. He has freed us from condemnation through his atoning work and resurrection, and he's freed us from our addiction to ourselves. He has shown us the way by taking up the towel and washing the feet, by taking up children and caring for them, and he's given us the power to do it. And we do this unto him, knowing that one day we will see him and we want to hear from him, Well done, good and faithful servant. And that will mean in that moment infinitely more than all of the money or accolades or power or position that the world offers us. This is where all history is moving. Daniel chapter 7 verse 14. Jesus uses that son of man title as Daniel says, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. His king, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. The Son of Man gave his life as a ransom for us, has given us eternal life, and will come again for us. He is worthy of our praises. He's worthy of our offerings. And He is worthy of our service. Let's pray together. And ask the Lord to write these things on our hearts today and change us from the inside out. Father, we uh, read in your word here and we, we so identify, as bad as we may hate to admit it, with these disciples. And we pray that you would come today and apply the gospel afresh to us. That you may help us to grow in humility. Help us to grow in thinking about others being more significant than ourselves. I pray you would put to death in our hearts selfish ambition and give us, give us holy ambition, doing something great that matters to you and to the kingdom. So I pray you would make us a group of faithful servants, keeping our eye on the Lord Jesus who will come again. And Lord Jesus, we bless you for how you have served us, how you continue to serve us, continue to intercede for us. We want to reflect your character in this world. Help us to serve faithfully, we pray, in our church and to our neighbors. In Jesus' good name we pray. Everybody said amen.